the best leaders of the future are going to be those who can adapt to the circumstances more rapidly than potentially others. It's about trusting people to do the job, it's about measuring people on outcomes rather than making sure that you're physically present as they're doing their work. Don't just do something in an agile way that others might be doing better than you. Progress, get things done, make a difference, look at achieving, but also be mindful of the context around that. You know, what is the impact that you're having on, on others? I'm a big believer in having no regrets, you know, with work or, or life. Not making a decision is the worst thing to do. This is CONET TV. My name is Hendrik Deckers. I'm here today with Mark Fulcham, who is the Chief Operating Officer at Kensington Mortgages. A very warm welcome, Mark. Thank you very much, Hendrik, and it's a pleasure to be with you today. Mark, you are a civil engineer, you studied at Kingston University in London and you started your career in IT 33 years ago and worked your way up as IT manager, IT director, CIO for companies such as Atkins, Breek, Macquarie Bank, Azure and then the last couple of years you were either the CDO or CEO of companies such as Surrey Innovation Scope and Key Enable. And then in 2019, you joined Kensington Mortgages as the uh, COO. So, Mark, tell us a bit more about yourself. What's your background? Where do you come from? And uh, how did you arrive in this position uh, as COO? Well, thanks, Henrik. Absolutely. I, I started off my, my career as a civil engineer. Uh, my, my father was a, a civil engineer, so I uh, kind of followed in his footsteps and, uh, and got that sort of feeling for sort of engineering uh, sort of when I was uh, fa fairly young. And I used to go out onto uh, the building sites and, and uh, help surveys and, uh, you know, assess, assess buildings and structures you know, as part of, uh, uh, part of that sort of uh, youthful sort of teenager exuberance uh, uh, mm -hmm. before I started my uh, university uh, degree. Um, I soon found, though, um, that I was more attracted to the technology side uh, of engineering uh, and certainly you know, through my 20s I then migrated from civil engineering through IT infrastructure through IT projects into the roles that you're just talking about you know IT director and CIO and then over the last sort of 10-12 years I, I picked up other functions as well very much kind of cross-related to technology you know, the procurement function um, and, and also some areas like facilities but also operations as well which you know progressively have more and more depended on, on technology and I I think you know what, what, one thing I would reflect on that throughout my career, particularly I've, I've been fairly uh, uh, restless in, in, in kind of moving from one area to another, one one seg sector to another, uh, and so yeah, absolutely, I've, I've been a CEO, CDO, CIO, uh, and uh, you know really try to keep my my perspective very broad as I've been going through those routes. Okay, um, we certainly talk about how you. Um, how you broke through the glass ceiling at some CIOs are, are stuck at the CIO level and don't get to the COO or CEO uh, level. So that's certainly an interesting topic to discuss. But before we do that, Mark, tell us a little bit more about Kensington Mortgages. What is, what is this company all about and what is it that it does really, really well? Absolutely. So Kensington Mortgages is uh, the leading uh, UK specialist mortgage provider. 
Uh, we're about 500 strong, uh, so a medium-sized business. Uh, we've, we've got about uh, 5 billion worth of uh, secured, uh, securitized loans, and we service about 10 billion worth of uh, services uh, in the UK. Um, so we really look after customers who aren't typically serviced by the high street, complex backgrounds, multiple incomes, those over 55. So we're kind of a specialist niche provider, and we see that as a very growing market at the moment, which we can come on to a bit later on, I suspect. Okay. So what are the what are the drivers of change? I mean, every company, every organization, every sector is going through a lot of change lately, and and of course the pandemic has been a driver for that. But but that and and and, and other. What are the what are really the root causes that you need to reinvent this organization? Like every organization needs to redesign and reinvent itself. Absolutely. Uh, so I think you know, a key word there you mentioned, Henrik, was about reinvention. I think you know, a lot of organisations, all organisations really, uh, last year had to really rethink uh, their business model. And, and we were no different. Um, you know, it, was a, it was a tough year for everybody, but you know, we, we uh, re-established ourselves in terms of an operating model, uh, you know, about from, from, a, from a technology point of view, but also really absolute focus on what the customers were needing through very turbulent times. And as we've come out of that year, our absolute focus now is on is growth. Uh, and we, we do see that uh, the specialised uh, loan market and, and the mortgage industry in the UK uh, has become one that, that for us is absolutely in line with uh, the, the areas that we want to uh, address in terms of the customer's complex needs, uh, in terms of those segments that the, the, the high, strength, high street and large uh, lending organisations aren't really set up to, uh, to provide, uh, provide for. So our absolute um, focus in terms of our strategy is about growth. Of course, you can't have growth without being efficient. So we have an efficiency program as well. Uh, and we're in a highly regulated business. And um, you know, those, those of you who know the UK uh, financial services market will know that um, you know, there's a lot of focus on, on financial services business at the moment from, from the various regulators. So in a, there's a three-pronged approach that we're taking, absolutely about growth. It's about ensuring that we're efficient in the way that we operate and also making sure that we are in line with the, uh, the regulations that, that are set out in, in the frameworks for us. Okay. So these are the three drivers of change. So we need to reinvent the business and a very important next to technology and, 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 and resources and other resources and so, and so on. Uh, a major uh, thing that we have to redesign, reinvent is the way that we work. So what I wanted to discuss uh, with you, Mark, is how do, um, what's the, the modernization, the changing role of the, of the workplace uh, today in, in, in your organization? How is the workforce transforming? And how do you uh, progress in workflow automation? So workplace, workforce and uh, workflow uh, are the three things I wanted to discuss with you. So let's maybe first uh, jump into workplace. What's the situation there? I mean, we all have been working for the last uh, so many months, uh, mostly from home. But how do you see this in the future? How do you see this going forward? What's the, in, in your organization, the role of the office going to be in the future? So like a lot of organisations, absolutely, we are predominantly working from home. We still are. Um, but we've taken the opportunity um, over, over the last uh, particularly six months to really have a look at what, what the workplace is all about. 
Uh, and we actually fundamentally be, believe it's a place to come together for collaboration and for socialising uh, ideas, uh, to building teams, uh, to developing people uh, on, on a kind of one-to-one -one basis and, and a team level. It's not for sitting and having Zoom calls in. We can do that anyway. So you know, our, our model in terms of the workplace is one that is a combination of having uh, places to work, places to uh, engage with each other, uh, and it's also though about being flexible. So you know, we. we we, we don't mind where people work uh, as long as they are, are best best able to work in, in terms of their technology and in terms of their uh, working practices and in terms of uh, the structures and the teams. Um, so the workplace as, uh, as it is now has been transformed itself into uh, an area that, that, that is more facilitating those engaging conversations and uh, about having the right types of team meetings uh, uh, across the organisation. Yeah. How do you see the evolution of the home office? Because many, in many uh, cities, we live on uh, smaller and smaller apartments, smaller and smaller homes. But now, all of a sudden, we, the home has an important new function. And it, it needs an office or maybe needs two home offices. How do you look at that? Because that's, um, that's potentially a challenge for some people as well, no? So in terms of uh, homeworking, there's a whole spectrum uh, of, of arrangements and uh, facilities that are available to people. And as you say, you know, some, some people have the ability to, uh, to work in, in, in a room that is quiet and, and is unobstructed, um, uh, uh, but others you know, work, might, might work in a noisy location or, or have uh, very few facilities or, or lack of really strong bandwidth. Um, so you know, what we have to do uh, as an organisation is to take an account of those people who might actually want to work in the office more because of some of the, the restrictions that they have at home, uh, whereas those people who may be living away uh, from the office uh, and, and have a long commute or a long journey in, into the office uh, might want to spend more time, time at home. So when we're looking at uh, the way in which people work, it's a, it's a matter of understanding what their home arrangements are, and it's also understanding that we can kind of complement that, augment that with uh, the way that we're working in the office as well. One interesting fact at the moment is that we're now uh, recruiting uh, more broadly across the, uh, the UK, whereas before we were, mm -hmm. we were recruiting quite locally. So we've had a lot of people that we've brought on board in the last uh, six to 12 months uh, from uh, further regions of, of the UK. And we don't expect them to come into the office on a regular basis, but we're now, yep. you know, we're now focusing on the talent and the quality of that talent rather than the proximity to the office. Yeah, but for do you think for most function it would be possible for people to, I don't know, migrate to the south of Spain and, and live and work from there and, and never show up in the office? Is, is that a possibility as well? I, I think that would be quite unusual. Uh, I think it's important to have the, the office uh, as, as a kind of hub to check into uh, and to, to come in on a, on a reasonably regular basis to, to meet with colleagues and, and to have that sort of social time and that engagement time. Uh, I think being away from the office uh, permanently uh, is, not, is not as good as having that kind of mixed mode of, of working, you know, the combination of the, the flexibility for working from home, but also making sure that uh, you, know, you meet face to face with colleagues at an appropriate uh, set of intervals. Okay, let's talk a bit more about workforce. So people, I mean, location is less important but still they need to come into an office on, on a regular basis um, but also um, creating growth in your industry efficiency regulations so i can imagine also the kind of people uh, that that you need both in in your it departments and your other operations department is changing as well how do you see the the workforce uh, of, of of kensington 
change uh, today and, and, in, and in the coming years? Well, I think, you know, first of all, um, having a flexible workforce, an agile workforce is, is extremely important. That, that wasn't something that um, was uh, created by, by the pandemic. It, it was uh, exposed perhaps more and, and catalyzed more as part of uh, the pandemic. And, um, you know, when we had particular, uh, you know, uh, younger people joining us before the pandemic, it was very important about, you know, their work-life balance and, and, and uh, you know, sort of the key, some of the key questions that were, were asked in interviews was, you know, uh, what 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 uh, what level of flexibility do I have in my, in my role? And I think you know what the pandemic has, has done is sort of lifted the lid on that more, and it's accelerated um, you know the progress towards having a much more sort of flexible and dynamic workforce. And, and also, you know, the, the theory that uh, you have to be in an office to be overseen, to be sort of uh, looked after and have that sort of structure of governance around you, it's not, not absolutely necessary. Uh, and so, you know, it's about, about trusting people to do the job. It's about measuring people on outcomes uh, rather than uh, making sure that you're physically present as they're, they're doing their work. Now, I think, you know, one, one aspect that I, I always talk about is that People like me and, and, and us, you know, we're making those decisions around how the workforce model should operate. Um, but, you know, we're of a certain generation, if you don't mind me saying that, Henrik. And, and, you know, we probably have a larger house. We might have more garden. We might have more facilities in our office. Um, and th those, uh, those individuals, those colleagues of ours who are starting on their careers, who, who kind of really relish the, um, the engagement with other people and actually should be benefiting from the conversations with senior managers and experienced people uh, in the office. We have, have to remember that, uh, you know, that, that, that segment of our workforce is extremely important to ensure that they're developed and um, they have a, a learning program that, that is, you know, potentially more office-based than, than, than the remote. So uh, there isn't one size fits all. So it comes back to that kind of model of flexibility, uh, both from, from an individual perspective, but for also from a kind of corporate perspective, making sure that the, the workforce um, progression, whether that's talent management or uh, whether it's optimising the way in which people uh, you know, can, can create value for the organisation, that, that's achieved in a, in a holistic way. So, but that also means that um, leadership is, is changing as well, eh? because we, we work more on outcomes, more agile, more collaborative. So that means a different way of, of managing and, and, and leading people. Um, because not every traditional, I mean, the financial industry is, is a very traditional industry, I can imagine. So what are you doing to, um, to make sure that also leadership on the different levels is, is up to speed and uh, with the new ways of working? Now, for sure, absolutely, leadership styles have to change. And, uh, you know, trust is a big part of that. And I've always believed that um, you trust people to, to do their job. You make sure you give them the right tools and the right training. Uh, and as, as you say, you know, you give them a good direction and then you, you measure them on their, their, their value generation, their, out, their output, rather than kind of strictly oversee them from a physical point of view. And I think actually one of the things I, I, I have thought has been very um, effective in terms of breaking down hierarchical structures and the traditional, you know, um, uh, you know, ways of working within an organisation is the fact that everybody is only one button away from a video call or, or a, you know, a, a, an audio call. And, and, and I think um, that, that sort of availability 
to just to check in with somebody or to send them a message, I think it's become much more pervasive across an organization. So I think breaking down those hierarchical structures, working in a way that um, you know, is more interconnected within the different layers uh, of, uh, of a firm, I think is, is really key. And you know, for us, this is all part as well, moving to a much more agile way of working when it's less about having those sort of uh, business as usual structures in place, but about having teams come together in a cluster or a scrum or, and, and actually looking at the, the, those sort of uh, out, outcome measures and, and, uh, and, and you know, that, that creation of um, important assets for a business. How far are you in, in Kensington in the adoption of, let's say, the agile way of working uh, with, with uh, more uh, organized around products and, and services and, uh, and, and with scrums and teams uh, and, and DevOps and so on? How far are you in, in the adoption of that? Well, I think every organization I've worked in where we've applied agile, I always say we're on a journey. So, um, and I think that that's a journey about um, making sure that, that, that you apply Agile in a pragmatic way. Uh, so we, what we, we have a phrase we would call, you know, we're agiling the Agile. So it's important that, you know, as, as we move forward, um, that, that we don't try and kind of impose Agile in a way that's sort of formulaic. But we are, we are progressing well. Um, we are using Agile for some of our most important pieces of work around growth. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we, we constantly look at uh, what the results we're getting from the deployment of new technology, new solutions, new, new functionality, new applications. Uh, and that kind of cadence of feedback, uh, in particular to customers and brokers, we're, we're really trying to be sharp on, on how effective that is. And if it is effective, that's great, we'll do more. And if it's not effective, uh, then we'll stop what we're doing and we'll pivot and we'll do something else. So I think you know, the, the application of agile practices is, is you know, coming through well. Um, and I think though, for me, it's about just reinforcing you know, what, 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 uh, what the impact and the improvements are for our customers and, and brokers as a result of that. Okay, great. So we discussed workplace that is completely changing, workforce that is going through a, a big transformation. Uh, let's talk about workflow and, and, and how we're, I, I think we're really in a new phase and a new era of, of, um, of automation. I mean, um, uh, IT has been a lot about automation, of course, but now with all the, the, the new tools that are available with, with RPA and software robots and artificial intelligence and so on. So what is your general view on this? What is your general view on the usage of these new uh, robots and, and, and similar tools? So I think it's very easy to see automation as, as an immediate solution to go to. So uh, my, my view is that um, RPA automation is something that is in the toolbox of, of what, what can to be, de to be deployed uh, as, as a solution. I think number one, it's understanding you know, what the business operating model is, uh, where, where it's working well and where it's not wor working so well or it's inefficient, then you know, automation is part of the solution. You know, often automation can be used tactically when you've got applications that, that um, you know, may be slow to develop or uh, require sort of elements of them being um, uh, improved uh, where you know, that the development might, might take a long period of time. So my view around automation is it's, you know, it's one of the tools in the toolbox to apply. And I think particularly around uh, where you've got um, colleagues that, that are working uh, at the front end of the business and, and working with customers. And uh, we, what we want to try and do is minimize the, uh, the non-customer uh, uh, periods of time uh, and maximize the, you know, the, 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 the in front of customer time uh, yep. so that the, you know, the, the training and, and the, 
um, the experience of our, 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 our colleagues is applied very much very around you know, the, the customer rather than the administration. So whether it's the front end of a process or the tail end of the process, this is where we look to apply more of the automation. So have you already implemented software robots and what were the first cases and, and the first, what's the low hanging fruit for, uh, for these kinds of, uh, of uh, applications? Well, we've, we've applied it in, uh, in our lending operations business um, and uh, you know, in particular, as I said, around those sort of administrative tasks uh, that are taking up a lot of time uh, for individuals and uh, you know, where, where we've got um, a, a bulk of work that needs to be processed, whether it's document management related uh, or it's tying up loose ends and populating our app applications. Uh, that's, that's where we've applied it um, more significantly. Um, we have actually put in a new platform last year, so we have to be careful about balancing, you know, automation with with that new application because, you know, uh, to my point earlier, it's part of the solution set. It's not a panacea for everything. Uh, so we have used it in a very kind of tactical and focused way, uh, and we have looked at where we can then redeploy people from those sort of heavy administrative uh, processes uh, once we have that automated, you know, back onto the more customer facing. Uh, yeah. elements of their, of their job. Now there's different ways that you can uh, use RPA tools and software robot tools. One is where you can really automate uh, processes in back office and, and make sure that you take the robot out of the human and that uh, uh, the, the robots do as much as possible of the re repetitive tasks. Um, but another uh, way to look at this is to give everybody uh, a robot, a personal robot, and so where people can develop their own uh, automation uh, processes um, where, and, and then we talk about citizen development and so basically empowering, there's a new wave of empowering the end user. What's, what's your view and, and, uh, and, and implementation of that? Yeah, and I think there's, there's, there's a lot of parallels to be drawn uh, with the, uh, the, uh, the rollout of business intelligence tools, intelligence mm -hmm. tools um, in, in, in terms of what, what we're, we're talking about now. And that's certainly an area that we are looking into. We haven't deployed anything yet, but we, we think there is a lot of value to be uh, drawn from uh, moving that sort of capability to the end user, the front end user, in much the same way. Uh, that uh, business intelligence tools have developed over the last sort of four or five years. So it's definitely part of our sort of arsenal of, of tools again. Okay. How about artificial intelligence and machine learning? Is, is, is that top of your agenda? Are you uh, implementing that? Are you working with that? Yeah, I mean, a lot, a lot of what we do is absolutely around data analytics um, and, you know, the, the underpinning model uh, for that. Uh, does does rely on uh, machine learning and and, and AI, uh, you know, and uh, you know one of the uh, differentiators for us as an organisation is to really understand um, how the uh, how the brokers, our custom and customers uh, are, are interacting with this, uh, you know, all the way through from sort of uh, uh, affordability levels all the way through to um, making sure that the right product is aligned, uh, the, right, the right terms are applied, uh, and. You know, part, part of our modelling uh, is both in terms of looking at our portfolio of loans and making sure that, that the, you know, the right levels uh, of um, credit worthiness are applied to the right segments, um, but also um, ensuring that the you know, operational activities are guided um, by the, you know, the data that we're uh, uh, analysing and processing through um, the techniques that you talk about. 
and, and you know, certainly um, one of the things we'll, we'll probably come on to uh, shortly uh, is, is about kind of moving um, you know, data and analytics to the front end of the business so we can use it as a decision-making tool uh, much more readily. Now, you, you work in a very, like you said, a highly regulated environment. I mean, you have to prove everything and double check everything and audits and, 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 and you have different authorities uh, checking all the work that you do. So you can't just give, I can imagine, your, your people the freedom to, do, to go and do whatever they want. I mean, there, there needs to be checks and balances and, and a good governance in place of, uh, of, of these tools uh, as well. What's what's your uh, what's your take on that? No, absolutely. So I think it's making sure that there's a good um, a combination of our you know our, our statutory, our regulatory um, uh, governance framework, uh, very much uh, aligned to kind of our risk uh, management framework as well. But also um, the, you know the technical governance or technical design authority or the various gates that one would go through when you were deploying um, software. Uh, and you know one of the things I think we're really careful about is, is that when um, when we're deploying changes uh, into a production environment that we look we. Really Really understand what the impact on on our customers are, uh, our brokers, uh, and making sure that uh, you know from a usability perspective and, and uh, avoiding customer detriment, all these things are kind of picked up. So, you know, part part of um, you know the work that we're doing uh, on our sort of you know larger projects is making sure that all the dots are joined between our regulatory functions, you know, the, uh, the the second line functions, but also making sure that we understand, you know, the effect on customers when we roll out um, new solutions. And you know, as I said earlier, that's part of you know the agile principles that you know whether whether it's sort of a, uh, a you know a positive impact in terms of functionality or whether it's a risk based of impact in terms of uh, the regulatory um, concerns and checks and balance. You know, we do have to make sure that we have this constant feedback loop with uh, with our customers to make sure that um, they, they are they are getting um, optimized solutions solutions that are treating customers fairly uh, making sure that that all, all the regulations that we have to, have to adhere to are all in place and checked uh, before we deploy now you said that three drivers are of, of changes growth I mean, increasing the business, of course, that's, that's always important. Efficiency, so optimizing, managing costs and, 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 and so on. And, and certainly there, automation plays a, a, a big factor as well and regulation. How about, uh, I mean, the fintechs and, and, and the, the, the startups and the scale-ups, are there a threat to your business today as well? I, I, no, I, th I would say there's a not, they're an opportunity, Henrik. I, I think you know, the, uh, the way in which the mortgage, mortgage industry is evolving, um, horrible term, ecosystem, but the, you know, this is evolving ecosystem. Uh, mm -hmm. One of the reasons I joined Kensington um, and, and you know, came into this market, but I saw some parallels to where I've worked with in the, in, you know, in the past and other financial services organisations. So uh, quite often you, know, you have fintechs being created because there's a niche demand that, that the large organisations, the incumbents, aren't servicing, uh, like the, new, uh, the neobanks, for example, as a classic example, and they start from a piece of uh, functionality that, are, that is being underserved in the market and then grow out from that, uh, whereas the large organisations you know, take, take quite an opposite point of view and, and try and then sort of focus in, in, in and copy some of these things that have been uh, undertaken by fintech. So I, I see 
startups, fintechs, um, and uh, new, newer organizations and new entrants into the market as, as an opportunity. Uh, why is that? Because I think they, uh, they, they generate um, innovation. Uh, I think there are opportunities to, you know, to connect into those organizations where their functionality is richer than, than we might have or you know, other, other organizations that we already work with. So I think it, it kind of it does enrich the the that ecosystem. It enriches um, you know what what's available to a customer in terms of the products and services. So um, you know, in a parallel for me, when I worked for for Eshore and Go Compare, uh, Go Compare is one of our aggregators in the UK. And you know, initially those aggregators were were, were seen uh, you know as new, new entrants that were disrupting the market and were a bit of a nuisance. But actually, um, you know, our strategy was very much to engage with those aggregators and to work collaboratively with them uh, and, and you know ultimately that gives that gives customers a, a broader choice uh, of products and I think the same thing goes for your new fintechs there are opportunities there to engage with them and and to enrich what what we can do with um, with with our products and and uh, how we can deliver those out to our customers okay let's talk a bit about how um, IT and, 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 and ops is, is organized and because that's your responsibility in uh, in, in, in Kensington so um, how did what's what's your operating model? How do you organize IT? Do you have a separate digital department and and so on? Give us a bit of the the, the structure there. Absolutely, and uh, I mean I I, I, um, I don't usually like talking about IT. I know I, I, IT for me is just just feels like a bit of an old sort of phrase, and I, that that might um, that might not resonate well with other people. But um, I think in in today's uh, modern uh, organizations we have to look at three areas broadly of uh, what used to be embedded within IT uh, that's mm -hmm. you know the technology itself so there's infrastructure in particular uh, you know whether that's uh, that's hosting production systems uh, telephony uh, and networks all, all those sort of key sort of tin and wire uh, elements of, of an estate um, and you know a lot of that now is uh, commoditized, and a lot of that can be provided by third parties, um, and uh, quite frankly, can be done cheaper, better, and a higher quality uh, than than uh, you know in, in internally. Uh, there's a right balance to be made, though, um, and for me, that part of, the, of, 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 of IT, the technology side, is about service. And what I mean by that, it's about making sure that uh, your, your colleagues, your customers internally, get the right type of service, right level of service, but also that the service that's provided by um, you know, uh, cloud providers and outsourced uh, organization is also optimized. So for me, um, the, you know, that, that the function inside is about balancing the quality of service that one gets internally with the level of, of service um, that, that uh, one has to receive externally. Uh, and there's a different makeup to that sort of um, team these days, and particularly around kind of commercials and contractual um, arrangements and kind of that, that linking the external third parties with the internal service provision. Um, and I think that that's that's a kind of the foundational elements of any organisation. You know, you know that tin, tin and wire has to be correct. I think what what's much more important these days, and has been for a while really, is the differentiators of the two other areas, and that's for me data, which we've talked about, and that's uh, about kind of having the right decision-making tools and lifting data uh, so so that um, it becomes information that, that one can rely on to make the correct types of decisions, again, internally, but also expose that data externally to your customers and third parties as well. And then digital as well, which for me is all about having um, customer focus around usability, uh, expedience of, of delivering products, um, and giving great service to, to customers in, in terms of 
fit product to the right type of, uh, of individual. Um, and you know, if you look at that sort of uh, three elements of, of what I would say was, was the old IT functions, I think a lot of IT functions have those buried and mixed, um, and I think you have to operate them in, in three different ways. One is very much kind of traditional uh, data is very much kind of lifting it out sort of from uh, kind of database management up to kind of decision making um, and decision support and insight. Um, and on digital, it's about kind of getting the right uh, solutions in place for, for customer. Um, and, you know, certainly digital and data may are the real differentiators now behind um, organizations ability to, to move, move forward. Interesting um, model, uh, Mark. Are you heavily outsourced or are you more insourced? Where are the, what's the equilibrium there between FTEs outside, inside the organization? And, and then in, in technology and IT? So we, we've, I think we've got a, kind of good, a good balance. Um, we have a, a major platform uh, provider, Sopra, who provides a sort of a core platform for servicing and originations in particular. Um, and we have a number of providers uh, for our, you know, our network infrastructure, our telephony infrastructure. So I think you know, we've got a, a good mix. Um, we are moving more and more to the cloud now. So we are working on new cloud providers, particularly um, you know, around our infrastructure. Um, where I, where I, I would say that um, one has to kind of keep some internal IP and keep some, some good sort of uh, internal capabilities around that digital and data. Um, so I think you know the the crown jewels of an organisation typically are you know, your data assets, um, and you know we talked about analytics earlier on, and I think the way in which data can be used to make the right decisions and drive the business forward through that insight. I think that's something that, that you kind of outsource at your peril. Of course, the kind of the, the more sort of data infrastructure side of things, you, you, you can uh, help, um, you know, sort of uh, look, look, be looked after by, uh, by a third party. And certainly digital as well. And I think, you know, knowing your customer, knowing how they interact with your organization is extremely important. And getting to know that customer uh, inherently through your, own, yep. through your own people, I think it is absolutely essential. So let's zoom a bit more into uh, the data part. Uh, one of the three core uh, pillars of, of your organization. Can you give maybe an example of, of, of um, some of the cool things that you're doing in that department? Yeah, I, mean, I think there's uh, two angles really. Uh, from an external perspective, um, we have a, a model called Vector, and Vector is, is, is all about um, the way in which our, our portfolio uh, performs, uh, and Vector is absolutely based on uh, quite sophisticated sets of an analytics. And um, one of the things that, w that uh, we feel is differential for us is how that information can then get then deployed out into our investor community. So we have an investor portal, uh, very much directly connected to, to that sort of deep model. Um, so Vector is essentially a, a, a productionized sort of um, solution for providing our investor insight uh, through great uh, data analytics. So you know, I talked earlier about kind of exposing data. Well, that's exposing insight into how um, you know, investors can have a look at our portfolio performance uh, and they can help make, you know, help make decisions on um, you know, the way in which um, you know, we, we engage with that, that community uh, going forward and, and, and work and grow with them. And then from an internal perspective, um, uh, we, we have rolled out um, Power BI by Microsoft, um, you know, significantly across um, much of the functions uh, of uh, Kensington, um, and, and and brought those kind of tools to the front end users, um, so that uh, we are now able to kind of look at 
uh, information, whether it's operations, it's servicing, whether it's lending, uh, with a, a much more sort of fine-tuned basis to have a look at you know, how the pipeline of cases are flowing uh, through our originations platform, having looking at service performance and, and seeing uh, you know, what, what levels of resources we might want to apply uh, in, in future weeks and months. Um, so it's kind of liberating the, the, the data that we've got underpinning the organization out to those people who can use it for next best actions and decision support that you know, in the past was, was going to take a lot of time to, to trawl through and then produce reports and then to analyze. So you know, a good example that a lot of meetings that we have, in particular you know, around the Agile projects, we, we start with the analytics, we start with the data insight, and say so that's, that's what the information around our, um, you know, our, our data models is telling us about the effectiveness of, of this piece of work and the effectiveness of these actions and this, this you know, um, uh, project that we're rolling out. And then we can make those dis informed decisions about you know, do we want to put this build into production in the next few weeks? Do we want to change our backlog priority? Uh, what our customers are saying uh, about us in terms of this new functionality? You know, are we seeing some uh, uh, information that's coming through social media? Are we coming through some uh, you know, CSAT scores? And, and bringing all this sort of uh, disparate data together to give us the right information in order to then deploy new solutions um, out into the market. Okay, let's talk a bit about your role uh, today. I mean, and, and also um, how you have evolved, because like I said in, in, in the introduction, not many CIOs grow out of the IT department. Most stay in, 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 uh, in, in IT and they, they stay as CIO or they take different jobs, in, uh, CIO jobs in different companies. But you have grown into CEO functions, CDO functions, COO functions. What is it that, that drove you to do that and, and what made it possible for you to do that and, and, that, and some other people don't. So, so what's your secret of, for success there, Mark? Well, I'm not sure how a secret, but I can talk about my experience and my views um, and how that, that's happened. And I think actually it's quite natural. And what I mean by that is technology is not a silo, it's not a box that, that one can just stay within uh, an organization. Uh, it might have been a long, long time ago, um, but, but nowadays you can't get um, technology right uh, you know, without engaging with the other parts of the organization. And those other parts of the organization, uh, you know, business can't function properly without real engagement with, 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 with technology. Um, so there are, no, there are no sort of defined boundaries that, that, that one should be creating when you're, when you're looking after technology. So, uh, you know, an example is I, I, I joined Eshaw um, as head of IT, but very swiftly um, I, I also took over responsibility for procurement. Well, why? Well, we were depending on a lot of third parties uh, for uh, you know, our solutions. So uh, well, there was a critical mass uh, of those organisations that we had to engage with. Uh, sometimes a quite technical level. So that was a natural sort of conglomeration of uh, functionality. Um, and then financial crime I took on as well because we were doing a lot of modeling, uh, data modeling around financial crime. So I adopted that. So I think, you know, where technology um, and digital and data kind of leverage uh, the right types of solutions around the organization, I think there's a natural um, cooperative and collaborative uh, you know, need for a, a CIO to to um, to engage with, and you know, ultimately, if um, if that can be done better by sort of owning those functions and overseeing those functions, then sometimes that does work work smoothly. Um, so, you know, I've always seen myself as somebody who 
pulls together solutions rather than necessarily kind of builds uh, outwards. Uh, and I think you know the, the best the best innovation and the best solution for for organisations are ones that are drawn from different elements of different functions and then brought together in an intelligent way. Yeah. So um, the way the way in which I've evolved from that kind of more uh, you know, parochial IT role into COO and CDO and CEO roles is kind of not really thinking about boundaries and just saying, well, there's a solution that it's only going to be optimised if we engage with this person, engage with that function uh, and make sure that's brought together in a collective way. And then, you know, if that means that you, you are chosen to, to look after those functions as well yeah. because that's more efficient, then, you know, so be it. And, that, and that's great because sometimes that will work better. And do you think that we will see more of that in the future? Do you think many CIOs are well positioned to become COOs and, and CEOs and so on? Because in the end, CIOs oversee a lot of the business and they, they, they have a lot of the insights of, of what's going on. So if I can imagine if they're enough business focused and also have the ambition to do so, that they're in a good position to, uh, to take other roles as well, no? No, absolutely. I think there is that, that natural sort of uh, progression and a nat natural sort of an engagement that, that will lead to, to that. Uh, I think if, if a CIO, you know, targets another area to look after, I think that's the wrong approach, really. I mean, it, it's not about um, owning a, another function. It's about uh, working together with other parts of the organisation to, to find the best sort of solution together. Um, and I think, um, you know, the, the, that if the right kind of leadership skills are applied to you know, to that sort of model, uh, and that um, you you always go to where the value is being generated, not where the technology is being deployed. Um, mm -hmm. I think you know that that's the way CIOs can progress, and I, and I think you know on that point, it's about having the right language skills. So it's it's about talking EBITDA, not not uh, not about sort of um, the, uh, the 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 uh, a stack of, of IT kit, uh, and it's about talking about the impact on customers rather than the, than the three nines availability. Um, and it's about talking about business risk, uh, business loss, uh, rather than t minutes of outage. You know, so I, I think having the right language and the right interpretation skills is really important. Yeah. And probably a final point on this, I think, I think um, good CIOs that become uh, you know, COOs and CDOs and COOs are also great navigators as well. They find the way through the organization, they find where those connection points are and they utilize those to the sort of collective benefit of the organization, again, yep. moving away from any concept of silos. So you're clearly very successful, Mark, as, 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 and grown into all these different functions. So let's talk a little bit about your management style. So what is, uh, so what is the secret of your success there? How do you make sure that you attract the right people, that you retain them, that you make them successful? How do you do that? Um, I, you know, one of the things I, I say when I, when I join an organization, uh, and it sounds, it sounds a bit trite, is that I always take a human-centered approach. You know, what, what do I mean by that? Well, um, I've talked a lot um, you know, in, in the last few minutes about customer perspective, um, but it's also very much important to, to talk about you know, the, the colleague perspective as well. Um, and you know, I do see customers and colleagues as two sides of the same coin and if you get those two sides correct the value of that coin will it will increase and that's just a very simple sort of model i've, I've got in my in my head that um 
you know, it's not about getting necessarily about the right processes or right technology or right or having the right facilities in place, but having the right people with the right attitude um, and, the, and the right behaviours in place and that are willing to learn, that are willing to add value, get, get the point around um, how we can better uh, serve our customers. And that, that's really key. And that's having that laser sort of look at how, how an organisation treats its customers uh, and what, what is that sort of... Uh, service provision, product provision that that, that um, is provided to them, and how effective uh, is that? So when I look for a team member, it's sort of getting those behaviours right. It, it's understanding that um, you know the best solutions and the, uh, you know are put together, and best problems are solved by engaging with other people, working uh, working as a team, um, uh, and and it's all about it's also about having kind of diverse opinions as well. So, um, you know, I'll often say, you know, do you want my job? You know, because if you don't, why not? You know, it, it, you know, it should be, it's not about ambition, but it's about knowing more. And it's about sort of having that sort of impact through, you know, sort of a, a, a broad perspective, uh, uh, you know, as, as a more senior person in the organisation. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I like to have people around me who sometimes will disagree. And I haven't got a problem with that. Uh, disagree with me um, because I think that also generates good debate, also generates, you know, broader ideas. Um, so I do kind of champion that sort of diverse thinking uh, and diversity in, 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 its all, uh, in all its forms as well, I think it is extremely, um, extremely healthy because uh, I think it, it enables you to, uh, to, to find uh, better, more intelligent, more innovative and more effective uh, solutions in an organisation. If you look at your typical weekly agenda, where, where do you spend most of your time? You spend time with, with clients, with... with your, uh, with C-level colleagues, with, with your teams, with the IT teams, with the operations, I don't know, where, uh, or you or all day and meet, where is it that, where is your focus, I mean, uh, in your agenda? Well, I, I think, you know, to, to be honest, I think, uh, like a lot of people, I think we spend too many times in meetings, um, uh, and so, you know, one of the things I always try and do is say, you know, what's the purpose of the meeting? What we're trying to get out of it? Uh, and actually, can we do this in a better way? Uh, and I think actually the last year has shown that we can all work in a, in a, in a different way. Um, so, you know, I, I, I would always try and find, um, you know, my time uh, being focused on what is it we're trying to achieve um, you know, how effectively are we going to be getting to that point and are there any, any barriers along the way? Uh, and I think also having, you know, my point about diversity as well, um, having a kind of diverse diary I think is important. So spending, you know, time in meetings all day long on the same sort of subject matter, you know, I, I think, you know, creates a stale thinking attitude uh, throughout that day. So trying actually to having a mix of uh, activities, you know, whether it's, uh, in, you know, engaging with, uh, you know, customer uh, relations or it's um, talking about, um, you know, the next IT deployment or uh, talking to the operational team about, you know, their effectiveness. I think having that sort of a spectrum, you know, in a given day is, is, is really important. So I think, you know, I have a lot of different types of activities uh, during the day. Um, you know, one of the things I really like, one of the highlights of my month is meeting uh, all new starters that come in the door. Um, and it's amazing how that invigorates you and just hearing about their stories and hearing about why they, they joined Kensington. And also, you know, reminding that they've got an opportunity to, um, again, that diverse thinking point, they've got the ability to challenge the status quo and to challenge why we're doing things. So um, it's a mixture of uh, set pieces and, and, and um, you know, free gameplay as well. I like to have that. 
Let's talk about your leadership style. Why is it that we, people would want to work for you? I mean, what, what kind of leader are you? And, and, and maybe a good way to phrase this is, what do you think the people around you uh, say about you when you're not around about your, your leadership style? Well, I think first of all, they, 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 they say that uh, I tell uh, extremely bad dad jokes. Um, so, uh, uh, you know, um, I think um, that, that I, I will tend to embarrass myself um, if I feel that we need to have a bit of frivolity in a meeting by, by recounting probably um, the extremely bad uh, dad jokes. Um, uh, but at least, at least that distracts uh, them away from uh, me telling my children uh, th those, those same jokes. Um, one of the things I like to, 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 to do is to be open and genuine and honest about um, uh, where we are with any particular subject matter. So um, make, making sure that um, there, are, there is a kind of strong and frank debate within the team. I talked about diverse thinking, but also you kind know, of diverse opinions as well. So you know, if you've got an opinion, let's hear it. There, are no, you know, there, are, there is no monopoly on opinions uh, in, in, in my view. And I think when, um, you know, when, like myself, when, you, when you're looking after lots of parts of the organisation, you know, you, you, you can't be a specialist in any of those areas. You have to rely on, you know, your people and, you know, strong teams underneath you. And if you're talking all the time uh, uh, over those people in meetings and discussions and ways in which you, you know, solve problems, I, I think it can be, um, it can stymie their, their, their sort of ability to, to bring up their specialist uh, knowledge. Um, so having that kind of open dialogue and making sure people have time to, um, to set out their views, I think it's extremely um, important. Uh, so uh, I, I think that's a big part of my style. I also like you know, to, to make sure there's a good collaboration um, between uh, different teams you know, and having a kind of one team approach. Uh, you know, it, it might be that we have to address a, a budget item uh, in, in one of my teams and we haven't got enough uh, budget for that. So we'll let, let's look at how we can liberate some, some, some budget from, from elsewhere. So let, let's talk together. Because at the end of the day, we work for one business. So these sorts of discussions for me um, are, are really important. So really feeling together that we are kind of one, one team. Uh, and, and that um, you know, from time to time, we'll have to shift our balance of support, shift our balance of thinking from one team to another, depending on what initiatives that, that, that are going on. Um, so it's kind of balancing all that, I think, is, is, is really key. Keeping an open dialogue, uh, making sure that people feel, don't feel disenfranchised if you're, if you're addressing a particular subject and it might not be one that, that they are functionally involved in, but well, let's make sure we explain that to them. Because I look after you know one end of the business to another, and sometimes those two areas might not automatically have a need to engage, but you know they will learn from each other and they will need to understand you know how they operate. So uh, one of the things that the um, the chief exec of, of Kensington said to me when he, when he brought me on board is, you know, I need you to draw the lines. I need you to join the dots together between some of these functions. Uh, and that's what I found is it's been a really exciting and energi uh, energizing part of my role is, you know, finding out where those connections are, are, are best um, had. Um, and I think, you know, my style is very much to try and find those, those joining moments and those, those joining um, areas. Uh, and that's why I think openness and collaboration is, is absolutely key. So you talked about being open, being honest and, and, and collaborative and so on. Let's talk. And I, I think that reflects probably uh, your personality as well. So let's talk about your, uh, your personality uh, a little bit more. And the way that we do that in these leadership deep dive uh, interviews is to use the old uh, MBTI 
the Myers-Briggs uh, type uh, personality and, and you are, you shared with us an ENTJ, also known as a commander and that's somebody who's extroverted, intuitive thinking and uh, as a more judging personality. And these are decisive people who love momentum and accomplishment. They gather information to construct their creative visions by rarely hesitating for long before acting on them. So, uh, quite an interesting uh, profile and, and uh, uh, so what I recognize in many CIOs, digital leaders, CEOs is that many of these leaders have the J at the end. So that means that you like to take uh, decisions, you like to create a plan, stick to the plan and, and execute on the plan. Does that, does that resonate? It absolutely does resonate, and I think you know what I what I want to try and do is make sure that you know the, the recon, recognizing my my natural style uh, versus the need to be you know flexible, need to be adaptable, and you know when I talk about collaboration, there's no point in collaborating if I don't listen as well. Mm -hmm. So it's important that you know I do listen, and it's important that um, you know if I'm relying on a really great team, which I do, um, that they have a you know they are they're feeling that they have a part to play and that their, their viewers are, are, are taken on board. Because, you know, that ENTJ is also known as the emperor as well. And, um, you know, I, I certainly don't want to be a, a dictator. So, um, you know, I think being self-aware is really important. Um, and, you know, despite you know, your natural disposition um, as, as, a, as a type, um, if you are reflective and, and you are aware uh, as, as, as an individual about your your, your natural go-to places about maybe being over authoritative uh, or about being absolutely focused on getting the next thing done, then I yep. think you can kind of, you can soften those up and kind of address them yourself. Um, but, you know, it, it's always making sure you do check on that on a regular basis. I, yeah, I can imagine because typically people with this profile, they are very, on, on the positive side, they're self-confident, they're strong-willed, but on the flip side of that, they can be very impatient, arrogant, intolerant, and I mean, they, they know everything better. And, and so, so how did you develop yourself in that area? Because you're more the rational, I mean, you're an en civil engineer, rational. So how do you become more on the, on the, on the listening, develop more on the listen, your listening skills and your relationship and people skills? Well, I think uh, uh, failure and gray hair have got a lot to do with <laughs> it. So, um, you know, we learn from our mistakes. Um, and, I, you know, if I, if I go back 20 years plus, um, you know, I, I learned the hard way. Um, you know, if I was being uh, over pushy and, and, and arrogant um, and overly authoritative, you know, I often found I probably wasn't getting the best out of people and, and the best solutions. And, um, mm -hmm. you know, it sometimes takes a failure or it takes somebody to say, you could have done better there to, um, to, to learn and adapt. And, you know, I think as you go through some of those mistakes and you learn from them, I think, again, it's about being self-reflective and say, well, you know, we could have done that better. I could have done that better. So what, what is it that we learned and trying to then reapply that next time? still might get it wrong again but hopefully by the third time you've got it you've got it right um and i you know i remember when i got interviewed by um the, you know peter wood who, who launched um eshore uh, and he said to me you know what, what what's your appetite on risk i said well i come from a civil engineering background and if you build um, a nuclear power station wrong a lot of people will die very very quickly so my attitude on risk is is, is quite severe um, and you know, and you, you mentioned engineering. Yes, I like to kind of engineer 
uh, solutions, but I also like to structure the way I'm reflective. So, you know, if I found that I'm not doing something that I think is optimal, I'll kind of unpack it, you know, and, um, but I'll also ask people, you know, you know, is it working for you, the, my style? Uh, you know, when I have my annual reviews with my teams, I always end those by saying, and what about me? This is a two-way conversation and just mm -hmm. be honest about, uh, about those things. So I think, uh, you know, learning through mistakes, um, being self-reflective, um, you know, I think is, is a good way to, you know, um, you know adapt in terms of um, yeah. optimising the skills. And we're always on that journey, you know. By the day I retire, I'd still have a lot to learn. <laughs> now that we're talking about mistakes, let me bring up my favourite question, um, Mark, and that is, I mean, you've done a lot of great things, but like you said, mistakes as well, and, and we all do we have to learn from them. So my favorite question is, what was your most brilliant failure ever? And, 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 and can you talk a little bit about that and, and specifically what you learned from it? Uh, well, I think my biggest failure ever was, was following my son, son up a tree um, in, uh, <laughs> in Boston, uh, Central Park, um, and then falling out of it and breaking four ribs. So um, I, I guess, you know, there, there's a translation into business terms and, and don't, don't just do something in an agile way that um, others might be doing better than you uh, if you haven't got the right, um, you know, um, body parts, shall we say, to, um, to affect that. So, um, but, I, you know, I, I think that um, I, I, I don't think I've had big failures. I think I've had sort of failures that, that for me uh, are... Um, you know, sort of small in terms of, of impact, but um, containing them uh, to a point where they didn't, didn't grow. Um, in, e in Eshaw, we only had one sort of significant issue that, that I had to deal with during my whole, whole time there, um, which was over a decade. Um, and that, um, you know, that, that came from um, uh, relying on a third party, number one. Uh, uh, it came from uh, a, la a lack of um, thoroughness from an individual in that third party, but it also came from me and my team making sure that maybe you know there wasn't enough oversight during that that that, that uh, piece of work um, to make sure that that individual was you know properly trained and probably understood you know what 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 they had to do at any given time. And it was a small error, um, but it actually it grew because of the time of day uh, and the lack of sort of thinking about what they were trying to do to resolve that. So it snowballed. Um, and it comes back to, you know, what I said earlier on uh, from the human perspective, you know, most failures aren't down to people, who, you know, being incompetent. Uh, most failures are down to people not being trained enough, not um, being given the right sort of support mechanisms, you know, um, having the right um, uh, run books for, you know, the, the processes that, that they're, they're operating in. And as long as we learn from that, which we did, um, then I think, you know, it, it, it's important that, um, you know, one, one can kind of make sure that, uh, those issues are, are addressed rather than um, you know going straight to that individual and saying you, you made a mistake, which wasn't okay. wasn't fair. Let's dig a little bit deeper in, into who you are as a as a, as a person, Mark, and let's talk a little bit about your core values. What is it that really drives you? What are the values that you? I mean, you shared with with us that you have three children, they're 18 to 23. What are the values that you want to see them grow up with? So I think you know one of, one of the key things that um, I believe in is is just being being mindful and, and you know we hear a lot about mindfulness but I think you know it is about sort of understanding uh, the context that, that that you're working in or living in um, so it's not it's not working or living in a bubble it's under, understanding um, and being mindful uh, about the effect that you have on others 
uh, it's being mindful about um, how people you know can perceive the things that, that you do um, but you know e- equally um, you know I, I like to marry that with you know I, I, I'm kind of quite a restless person I like to get things done I like to see progress it's coming back to that ENTJ thing so um, you know and I think if you're somebody that likes to get things done um, I, I think you know being that sort of self-reflective um, individual as well how do you temper that well I think it's about being cognizant of what the impact that that, that can cause uh, on other people and other situations so driving stuff through is great but if you if you're like a bull in a china shop and, and you know, there's a lot of damage and a lot of collateral damage as a result of that you know is that rewarding to you is it rewarding to others so um you know i i i, I recently have done kind of quite a lot of work uh with um social enterprises and and not for profits and you know in those sort of in uh, those sort of organizations you know you have to really be mindful about um the impact that you're having on particularly vulnerable people for example um so uh you know some some of the values that um, i hope are, are being instilled into you know my children are that kind of progress get things done make a difference look look at you know achieving but also be mindful of the context uh, you know around that and uh, you know what is the impact that you're having on on others um other people and other uh you know other, other situations uh, around that and it's interesting because uh, all, all my all my children are sort of uh, very much sort of um, I think kind of moving in their careers towards things like um, you know medical careers and, and working with sort of social enterprises and um, you know involved with with that side of uh, the organisation. So you know I think there's there's a degree of you know carefulness as well as okay. mindfulness in terms of where they're moving. But you haven't passed on your engineering genes then to your, um, to your children. Well, I, I <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, you know, as I said, perhaps not, not as robustly. I never thought I was a great en- a civil engineer. I thought I was better at, better at technology than engineering. Um, okay. My, I, went, I met my wife, um, you know, whilst, whilst I was working as a civil engineer, and, and she was a lot better at civil engineering than I was. Uh, now, apart from meeting your wife, what was the best thing that ever happened in your life, Mark? Well, I mean, I have to say it was having having children. Um, mm-hmm. I think, uh, you know, it, it, it's the best thing and the most terrifying thing, of course, um, you know, especially the first, my first child. Um, but that you know, has to be, uh, the, you know, the most important thing that happened in my life. And, and, it, and it gives you that perspective, um, you know, and particularly as you see them grow up and you see them sort of um, uh, emulating the things that you do, perhaps good and bad. So again, again, that kind of gives you a bit of a mirror, I think, to, um, to look at when uh, when you're uh, behaving in a certain way or, or um, you know try, trying to sort of get get things done so I think you know best thing in my life and a kind of quite an educational experience and it continues to be an educational experience and I think um, bringing up children has a lot uh, of lessons to be uh, transferred across to um, working in businesses quite frankly did you have any really bad things happen in your life and and that and what did you learn from these? Yeah, well, I mean, apart from falling out of that tree um, in, in Boston, um, you know, I, I think, you know, being being honest, I think mean, last year was a real, really challenging year. Uh, it, you know, it was a year in which a lot of people had um, a lot of challenges, but I lost my mother, I lost my uh, uncle, um, my daughter was diagnosed with quite a, quite a severe um, uh, condition. Um, and you know, with, with the restrictions around coronavirus, it was it was a difficult year. 
So, uh, you know, I think resilience was, is important to, um, you know, to understand from oneself perspective. And, um, you know, I think a lot of people had, had, had those sort of uh, combined and layered challenges in their lives and, and work. Um, so, um, you know, overcoming that, I think, is about, um, you know, think about what gives you resilience, what's give, what, how, how do you kind of ignite your superpowers ar around um, coping in those situations. And it does come back to, you know, trusted friends, trusted colleagues, and then also, you know, reaching out, to, you know, if you need help to, to, you know, to organisations and, and those who can kind of make sure that, you know, you, you keep... Um, you keep on track, and you know we're we're talking in uh, in the UK um, uh, about uh, you know mental health a lot this week. It's a big focus in the UK, Mental Health Awareness Week, and I think uh, I think a lot of people uh, you know found um, their you know, their the mental health last year challenged a lot, and you know I, I, I felt that as well. Um, and I think it's important that um, we learn. We all learn from last year, um, and when it comes to that mindfulness, when it comes to sort of the impact on others, and when it comes on to self-reflection uh, I think there's a lot of learnings that we should just not forget about from last year we should yep. be taking that forward and how do you unstress how do you relax what is your way to get back to yourself I mean what, what do you do mostly in your spare time uh, there's probably two things really uh, first of all I, I, I like running um, so um, and one of the reasons I like running is you can just go you don't, have, don't necessarily have any complicated kit that you need to get. You just get changed and you go out and you run. And I don't run with headphones. I just run outside. Uh, and uh, it sounds a bit like Forrest Gump, doesn't it? But, um, <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll just go and I'll use that time to just, you know, reflect um, and, and to sort of let, let my mind just diffuse. Um, so I find that, you know, very invigorating as well as an opportunity to just sort of relax um, and the other thing is you know um, I, I'm a piano player I'm not a very good piano player but I like playing piano um, and I'm lucky to have a little little baby grand in, in our house so um, I'll, if, if the children are annoying me I'll go and play the piano and, and uh, sometimes I might even sing uh, so that, that's also another way of um, okay. uh, relaxing. Uh, uh, what, what, kind of, what kind of music do you play? Well, again, if I want to annoy children, uh, children, I'll play Coldplay, of course, because, okay. um, you know, for any teenager, Coldplay is the, the anathema of music. Um, uh, but uh, I, I think um, uh, it, I probably could annoy them more if I tried to try and play some grime, but um, I wouldn't do that. So, no, I mean, I, I'm a, a big jazz fan and, um, you know, but, but a frustrated um, you know, jazz fan because I love listening to jazz and I cannot play jazz. So I'm, I sort of probably get somewhere in between rock and jazz when I'm playing. Um, but look, I'm a, I'm a massive fan of uh, Queen. Uh, and, okay. um, you know, after, after a party, you'll often find me at a piano playing Queen's greatest hits. Oh, that's cool. We, we, we need to find an occasion to do that together, uh, Mark. And, uh, well, and maybe. we all want to <laughs> be able to play like Bill Evans, don't we? So, uh, Absolutely. Uh, yeah. So let's talk a little bit about the important figures in, in, in your life. Who are the people that you look up to or looked up to? And did you have any important mentors in your life, people that guided you, that you've learned from? Um, I, I've had some really good uh, people that I've, I've worked with and worked for. Um, and I think, you know, when, when, I, when I look at um, learning from the styles uh, of people I've worked around, um, you know, when I was reflecting on, on, on this the other day, um, 
I don't think necessarily you have to um, look look to a senior leader in an organisation. Often it, it's sometimes junior people who are, um, you know, are, are performing outside you know, their, their sort of domain, um, who are going beyond uh, their, their job description. And sometimes, you know, I think actually that's, that's more impressive um, than, than somebody who's at the top of an organisation. So, you know, there's been a few people I've worked with who are uh, particularly, um, you know, junior and, and um, I've been impressed by the way in which they kind of uh, tackle, uh, tackle their work and, and sometimes their, their lives, um, you know, within that context. Uh, I, I'm, you know, I'm a big fan of uh, Steve Jobs. I'm a big fan of Bill Bill Gates. Actually, so if you can mer merge those two characters together, um, I think that would be quite an interesting um, character. Uh, I liked Steve Jobs' drive, um, and I think I liked his absolute focus on uh, design principles. You know, what we call human-led design now. I'm not sure what he would have called it that in his day. Um, but just getting the design right, getting the usability right, really understanding how the, the product that he was creating was going to be adopted by a customer. But he also recognised, uh, I think in the latter part of his career, that he got a lot of things wrong um, as well. So he kind of reflected on that. Um, I think, you know, for me, Bill Gates, you know, it's sort of a huge organisation that, that he helped found um, and grow. But now, you know, that, that technology and digital for good now that he's, he's moved with the, the, the Bill Gates Foundation, moved into. And I think that, that's, that sort of giving back on, on, on the basis of what he's created, I think, is, um, is fantastic. So some of these sort of technology and digital leaders that, that have been icons in the last sort of 10 or 20 years, I've got a lot of time for. Um, but I think at the other end of the scale, I, I think there are a lot of people that I've, I've worked with in the past who maybe go to the unsung heroes that, that you, know, you can just draw some gems out from them as well. Okay. Do you have any personal mantra, some saying, some uh, wisdom that, that you want to share with us that if you have to, I don't know, take a tough decision or something, something that, that guides you in your life as well? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm a big believer in um, having no regrets. Um, mm -hmm. and, uh, and I think no regrets might be a phrase that, that um, I, I would you know, call out. Um, it's very easy to say that um, because, again, um, you know, it, sometimes when you're making decisions, they're not, they're not, always, not always clear about what path you, you want to take. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I think the often, um, you know, with work or, or life, um, not making a decision is the worst, worst thing to do um, and to over-deliberate. And mm -hmm. I talked earlier about I, I'm, a, I'm a, a person who likes to see progression and likes to see movement. Um, so, you know, my, my, my worst fear is almost the you know, opposite to your point here is to see stagnation and, and you know, um, things not happening, uh, hopefully to the better. But, you know, one, once I've made a decision, once I've come to a conclusion and, and moved forward, uh, you know, you can't really regret that because, you know, that's the decision and you have to make it work. And I'm a big believer in um, once you have taken a route, you really try and make sure that that, that direction that you're taking um, is the best one. Even on reflection, it might not have been, but you still have to push forward on that front. So you like cream, but you don't like status quo. Correct, <laughs> yes. Nice one, I saw what you did there, Henry. <laughs> so, Mark, what is in, in your life, in your personal life, what is it that you love most and what is it that, you, that you're afraid of, that you fear in your life? 
Well, I think you know, what I love most is about that kind of you know, progression. Um, and I'm a bit of a sci-fi fan as well, I must admit. And okay. um, um, uh, in, in anything to do with sci-fi, I, kind of, I quite, quite enjoy um, even some of, sort of the, the rubbish films that, that you often find yourself in the middle of. Well, why is that? Because I think um, you know, they're extremely creative often and it's the art of the possible. Uh, and yes, there's a leap of faith, there's a leap of an imagination. Um, but I love to see what people people in people's minds have been created uh, and then kind of what what if what if we can do this um, and you know going back to some of the points around engineering you know we we, we talk about um, greenfield sites a lot in business don't we you know sort of you know we start from that greenfield site well literally in an engine civil engineering you do start with a greenfield and you start with lots of um, variables that are not locked in uh, and you have to start making assumptions and you have to start saying, what if that was the case? What if this was true? What if that was false? Um, so I, I think there's a good correlation between, you know, my enjoyment of, you know, future potential science fiction uh, to some degree um, uh, and that kind of, well, what, what if this, this, this is possible? So that's what I love. It's about, you know, taking that leap and looking, look, not just looking at the next thing, but the next thing and the next thing and the next thing, say, well, let, let's have a go at that. And, you know, some would call that a kind of a moonshot approach. Um, but if you, if, you, if you do look forward as much as you can to that sort of real sort of potential, real um, opportunity that could be grabbed, then that, I think, gives you a really good forward momentum to, to, to get there rather than just saying, well, what's the next step along this journey? Because that'll only get you one step where, you know, I, I, I prefer the leap. Um, I, I kind of don't like the word hate, really. I mean, I, I, I think um, things I dislike um, are uh, ig you know, ignorance um, in, in terms of you know, um, understanding other people's perspectives. And we, we talked about um, diversity of thinking and diversity of society earlier a little bit and inclusion. Um, you know, that, those, those are important things for me. And, and, and I think um, what I dislike a lot is bigotry uh, and ignorance around how other people work, live and be. Uh, and, um, you know, we, we've seen a lot over the last year or two, um, you know, around that, and that around that area about inclusion and diversity. We've all got a lot to do. Um, and me as a white middle aged man, um, you know, in a certain sort of demographic uh, sector, should we say, you know, uh, it, it, I've, I've had an easy life when it, when it comes to where I am at the moment. And um, it's very easy for me to think that everyone else is kind of similar and have the same opportunities. And they don't. So, you know, I've got to work double hard to even just to think about what the challenges are to, to, to other people, uh, whether it's progressing their lives or getting on the right career paths. So what I dislike is... is, is um, ignorance of, of, of that sort of perspective and, and making sure that um, those sorts of things are addressed. Okay. So, Mark, to, uh, to end this uh, conversation, let's talk about the advice that you would give to uh, young professionals that want to be as successful as you are. So, people that watch these uh, videos, they have the, um, maybe the ambition to become a CIO, a CDO, a COO, a CEO. So, what's your secret ingredient? What is the advice that you would uh, give these young professionals? So I think, particularly nowadays, um, being uh, adaptable is absolutely key. So, 
if I was starting out my career now, I think if I was talking to my younger self, I would say, keep, keep your mind open. There are things that you're going to love and there are things that you're not going to love so much. But try them, taste them, feel them, experience them, because you never know. Um, don't lock yourself in too soon, too early to a particular route. Um, and if you're not enjoying that and you're not finding it fun and it doesn't energise you, change. Don't, go, don't get stuck in a rut. So keep, out, keep a broad mind um, and you know, learn and experience uh, and you know, keep that, that feeling of, of adaptability because the world is, the pace has changed at the moment and the world is going just to increase and increase and increase. And where what organisations are looking for in the future are people who can apply themselves in different ways to different functions um, in, 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 um, you know, in, in different frames. Uh, and I think that um, you know, the best employees of the future, the best leaders of the future, uh, are going to be those who can adapt to the circumstances more rapidly um, than, than potentially others. So it's, it's, it's going to be a challenging world over the next few years and decades, I think. But I think the key uh, for me would be if I was to go back in time in my science fiction time capsule, uh, would be to say, keep flexible, keep an open mind and, and just think about being as, as adaptable as you can uh, in your career route. Okay, and with that, Mark, I would like to thank you for sharing all your insights, your experiences, your visions. And I look forward to an opportunity uh, to meet again uh, uh, in London, to meet you in London. And I would call upon our CRNet UK team to organize something, an event in London, in uh, a place where there's a good piano so that you can uh, play something and you can sing something for us. I really look forward to that. Thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure and uh, I'll start practicing soon. <laughs> okay. See you soon, Mark. Bye for now. Bye bye.